This podcast is produced by Painted Tree Boutiques. Welcome to the Life and Style Podcast. I'm your host, Haley Lane. On this podcast, I chat with dreamers and doers about all things life, style, and everything in between. Because style is more than what's at the surface. It's self-expression, creativity, and stepping into who you are. Hello, wonderful friends. Thank you so much for being here today. I am absolutely thrilled to share with you this episode. So this is a conversation that I had with Julie Minano. So Julie, also known as The Secure Relationship on Instagram, is a licensed marriage and family therapist, a licensed clinical professional counselor, and an author. She is passionate about relationship healing and dedicates her days to helping people discover how to function in their relationships in a healthy way. In today's episode, Julie shares why a sense of self is important and how to foster it what a secure relationship really is and how it differs from codependency, what it means to be emotionally available, and more. She also shares some of her very top relationship tips, a different approach to journaling, and daily rituals that make the biggest difference in her day-to-day life. I loved this conversation. You will love this conversation. And if you do, don't forget to share it with your loved ones and connect with us on Instagram at The Life and Style Podcast. It's my absolute joy to introduce to you, Julie Minano. Hello, hello, Julie. Thank you so much for being here on the Life and Style podcast today. Hi, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm so, so happy to get to chat with you today. So for anyone who has never met you and hasn't followed you online, can you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So I am a... I'm a licensed family uh, marriage and family therapist. I'm also a licensed clinical professional counselor. I do uh, specialize in couples. I only treat couples. Uh, I moved to Montana from Los Angeles about five years ago, almost five years ago, where I have a private practice and a clinic treating couples and some therapists that um, work for me and that I train. And I also run an Instagram account for kind of bring, uh, my specialty is attachment theory. So my goal with that is to put attachment theory um, as it, especially as it relates to relationships, romantic relationships into a form that is very easily understandable to uh, people who are not in the field of of therapy. Um, And then I am an author also, I've written a book that kind of walks people through the same process that I use to treat couples in my practice. Wonderful. And I first discovered you through Instagram. And I have to say, as an outside perspective coming in, you really do a great job of making this information, kind of breaking it down in a way that's approachable to someone who's completely not familiar with the subject matter at all. You really do a great job of communicating it in a way that feels approachable, understandable, without like missing I feel like nuances of what you're sharing. So um, that's the goal. So I appreciate that feedback. Yeah, absolutely. So share with us a little bit about what a typical day may look like for you. Oh, gosh. Well, I have no (laughs) typical day. (laughs) Um, I have six children. So every day day is a a different day for me. Um, This morning, I got up and prepared some food for dinner and for the uh, kind of the week, you know, just some food prep. And then I got ready for this. Uh, I I see clients on Mondays and Thursdays. Thursdays, typically, uh, I train therapists on Mondays and Wednesdays, and I ski a lot on Friday. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Very so cool. A, t- a typical day is going to start around 9 a.m. with me um, either training or seeing clients, and then paperwork, podcast, writing Instagram posts, uh, responding to comments, Wow. picking up yeah. my kids from school. <laughs> a lot of things yeah. to fit into your typical day for yes. sure it sounds yes. like <laughs> there's definitely no typical day for me <laughs> yes um so tell me a little bit about how you first kind of got into the world of psychology uh okay well back when i was in undergrad in 1994 
or I graduated from high school in 1994. Um, I, I kind of always knew before, from starting at about eighth grade when I read Hamlet, something about Hamlet really sparked that interest in me about um, psychology. I, the, the particular quote was, nothing is either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And mm -hmm. that just kind of opened something up into me that I started to realize I see the world in a little bit different way than others. And so that kind of stuck with me. And then in undergrad, I really was drawn into, into the social uh, sciences field, uh, but I didn't really think I could make a career of it. I got a lot of feedback of, oh, you can't, you know, there's nothing you can do with a degree in psychology. And so I also really enjoy math. So I ended up kind of going uh, the direction of math, which is crazy. But wow. um, I never, you know, I never lost that, that passion. And then as my children grew, I got really interested in parenting psychology and um anyway at uh when my youngest was one i was like i'm doing this i have to i had this drive to um be in this field that would would not go away so i went back to grad school uh got my masters and then started my training to become um, a therapist i did not want to work with couples that was the last thing i wanted to do but i had to get a marriage and family therapist license in california at the time because that's really what the the predominant uh, master's level license is mm. um we didn't have a licensed clinical professional counselor uh license at that time it didn't exist in california so it was either social work or lmft um and so I had to work with couples in order to to fully get licensed. I, I mm. you have to have a certain number of hours. So I saw my first couple and I thought, wow, this is really incredibly difficult and I need to get some training immediately. And um, I had I resonated with emotion focused therapy for couples from grad school, learning about that found the first training that I could in the country, which happened to be in Bozeman, Montana. Uh, flew out here for the training, fell in love, decided to move here with my family. Wow. Uh, I have not I have not taken on a new client that's not a couple since that day and just wow. absolutely fell head over heels in love with working with couples. And wow. so, so what do you think it is yeah. about working with couples that you're so drawn to? Well, it's a couple different things. First of all, I think it's extremely effective therapy for both as on an individual level as well as on a couple's level. When I was working with individuals, which I I have a lot of um, you know positive things to say about individual therapy, uh, but what was happening is I wasn't really getting the whole person in the room uh, because we you know so much of us exist in the context of relationships. Mm -hmm. And so that was that was a big piece of it. And um, I was also finding that I was bonding with my clients because I was the one who was providing them with this emotional support that they weren't getting outside of my office. I mean, a lot of people grow up in families that don't have much emotional support and are in relationships where they don't really know how to emotionally support each other. So uh, emotional support is not therapy, but it is something that you need to be providing to a client in order to do the therapy. So mm -hmm. I was developing this bond with them and then they were going home to strained relationships. And what I found is that it's much more fulfilling for me to uh, facilitate facilitate that bond between the, the couple, between each partner, um, instead of between me and the client, that, that feels very fulfilling to me. I feel confident knowing they're gonna leave my office with a, with a support system. Mm, that um, makes yeah, perfect sense. Yeah, the other piece of it is I really enjoy the, um, you know the emotional the emotional piece is is very much very much there for me as far as empathy and wanting to help and this drive to make the world a better place but there's other this other piece of it with couples work that is very intellectually challenging and stimulating i mean you've got a lot going on in the room you're working with each partner as an individual you're working with the relationship and it's just it's almost like playing chess sometimes and there's so you're you're kind of holding this emotional part of you and you're holding this intellectual part of you at the same time. It's just very, very stimulating. It's it's almost like 
you know, a surgeon has this part, this part where they want to help their patient, you know, feel better and, and thrive in life. And that's really their driving goal is to help. But then there's this other piece where they just really enjoy the actual process of the surgery. Yeah. And so I really enjoyed that, that piece of it too. It just really keeps me on my toes. And Oh, amazing. Yeah. That sounds like the two kind of key qualities in someone that does what you do, kind of having the appreciation for both aspects in Absolutely. that way. Yeah. Um, so something that I want to start out talking about that you've shared about on your Instagram is the idea of a sense of self. Talk a little bit about what that is, what it, what is a sense of self and why does it matter? Well, a sense of self is really, um, you know, just knowing, knowing who you are, knowing what you like, knowing what you don't like, knowing, uh, having access to your feelings, um, having access to, uh, you know, not, I guess if I were to put it in a nutshell, I would, I would say not allowing other people to define who you are, mm. but defining yourself and maybe being influenced by how other people perceive you. So you don't want to just completely shut people out and say, oh, well, you know, others observations of me don't matter. But so many of us get stuck, uh, feeling like we are who we are, how other people view us. Mm -hmm. And we get that by uh, growing up in environments where we're not taught to have curiosity about our own experience. We're taught, uh, we're taught to be valued based on how the other person is judging us yeah. in the moment. So for example, you know, my, I have a daughter who loves soccer and so I really have to work on instead of coming at her from a place of, oh, I'm so proud of you. Oh, you know, I, 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 how I perceive her into what was that like for you? What was mm. your favorite part of the game? How are you feeling about soccer? You know, what do you enjoy about soccer? Wow. Or, you know, if a child draws a picture, what is, what is this like for you? What, you? what did you learn here? You know, instead of, I like this, I like that. So you're kind of helping people tap into just, you know, who they are and that guides you through life in a way that that helps you in your career choice, that helps you in your choice of a partner. What feels good to me? I mean, so many people say, well, what should I look for in a partner? And I like to say, what should you feel for in a partner? Mm. You wow. know, what, do you, what experience do you want to be having when you're with this person instead of this checklist, you know? Yes. Oh, Okay. Um, makes total sense. And that's really powerful. So I feel like you already maybe hit on what your answer to this question is, but what are the things that get in the way of knowing yourself? You were kind of saying primarily maybe letting other people's view of you influence how you view yourself, but well, not influence, define, influence define. Fine. Okay. Yes. Influence is fine because we are social creatures and we do need feedback from others about our impact and, you know, right. But it's, it's allowing other people to define you. It's at, mm. it's, if I don't like your artwork that you just made, it's not worth worthy instead of, I like what I just made. Mm. Does that make sense? It, it makes total sense. Yes, that. it totally does. And or that's, I that's... learned this, or I feel that I improved in this way instead of, okay, well, if people are giving me feedback, it's, you know, bad work, then I just toss it out and not. Yeah. 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 And I, I just kind of side note, it's kind of interesting to hear you as you're talking about this, also talking about how we can help foster other people's sense of self and the way that we're inter interacting with them. So it's like, we're actively, maybe if that wasn't a way that we were interacted with growing up, kind of unraveling that and, you know, kind of doing the work to not be defining our right. sense of self by other people's view right. of us. But then it's kind of cool that through that, we're able to learn how to make that less of a hurdle for the people around us in our life. Absolutely. And once we can give those things to ourselves, it becomes much easier to, you just sort of naturally begin to give that to other people. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some practical ways that someone can kind of begin the process of finding themselves if they don't feel like they are at all in that place? Um, I think that, you know, being curious with yourself as far as, you know, what's going on with me right now? What's happening inside of me right now when I hear 
you know, when I, I'm trying to think of an example, uh, I'll think of a relationship example, but when I look at my partner and I see kind of them staring off into the distance, right? instead of going well what's going on with them are they mad at me are they you know it's yeah. what's happening with me what am i thinking what meaning am i ma making of this right now how mm -hmm. does that feel for me how 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 can i kind of sort of manage this painful experience that's happening with me what are my options here maybe i could reach out and say hey what's going on you know i'm starting to feel kind of anxious i notice you're looking out you know you're kind of uh, you have like kind of a stern look on your face. Um, so instead of just kind of jumping to what's wrong, what's happening with that person? I, I think I'm trying to think if this is a good example, but uh, my daughter, my 15 year old daughter um, the other day got upset with me about something I had said. Uh, I, run, I just wanted her to kind of get out of the house and get off technology. It was a, it was a non-school day. And she got really upset and was like, well, why did you say that? Why did you say that? Why did you say that? And I kept saying, well, because I'm your mom, because I'm your mm -hmm. mom. That's what moms do. We try to help you. You know, we try to make sure that you're healthy. And then I stopped myself and I thought, no, this is that I need to teach her to be curious about herself. And I said, what meaning are you making? What's going on? So we're missing each other here. What, yeah. what meaning are you making this of this right now that I said this? And she said, well, Cause I, and I, and I kind of had to, you know, coax it out of her a little bit by saying, I'm really truly curious about what's happening for you. And she mm -hmm. said, well, it sounds like you're um, maybe thinking that I'm being lazy. And I was like, oh, that wow. makes sense. No wonder you're reacting in that way because anybody would, would react in that way if they thought someone was thinking they were lazy, you know, that wouldn't feel good to anyone. Yeah. So I get that. That makes sense to me. And then once that was kind of settled, I said, you know, let me just kind of tell you where I was at. That That's not what was in my mind. What was in my mind was, you know, getting you out in the sunshine and getting, you know, your vitamin D and getting you in a healthy spot. And it was, it was fine after that. So it, it's kind of like I'm teaching her to really tap into what's, you know, what meaning is she making of events? What uh, what comes up in her emotionally and what's her urge to do when she has, mm -hmm. starts to have those feelings. Uh, and that can translate into, you know, career choices instead of, you know, some people go into it going, well, how much money can I make? Where can I live? You know, uh, like these kind of external qualities of, of a career instead of what do I enjoy doing? What do I, when I'm doing, what do I lose time? You know, what, what, what fills me up? What are my, you know, just kind of, I don't know. Am I, am I explaining? Yeah, well? You're absolutely making sense. Kind of starting in a place of awareness of what, what fills your heart before jumping to the external things that can kind of be misleading ultimately. Sure. Yeah, um, absolutely. Awesome. Those or are like, what, do, what does society want me to do? What does society reward, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, that's interesting that you bring up the career thing. Cause that's something I, I, I feel like I hear so many conflicting opinions about like, oh, don't do what you love. Don't monetize what you love because then you'll dislike it versus, you know, find what you love the most and do that. And I feel like what you're saying is a very like, um, balanced more appropriate um, perspective on that. Yeah, I would like to think so. I mean, that's what I'm so really encouraging my children to do is the way I see it is if you find what you love, you're going to put your energy into it and you'll be successful. Yeah. You'll put yeah. more energy into, you know, but I mean, I understand there's also balances there yeah. too. I mean, we sometimes have to look at the reality of a situation, but I, d I did not go into the field of psych psychology because I believed that it was a field that you would really kind of struggle financially in. Mm. And that's wow. not true at all. Then you ended up coming back around to it because you, you just felt drawn to it. I would have done it at that point. I would have done it for free. I, yeah. I would have, wow. I loved it so much that I would, do it if you know if if the situation happened if i didn't have to make a living and you know feed my yeah. family and i had the opportunity and the time i would do this work for free oh amazing amazing yeah, yeah and i think and curious your perspective on this with the whole 
um, career thing, doing something that you love, I think is inherently a wonderful thing. I think what's important is to also have non-work related things that you enjoy so that everything that you love is not wrapped up in only work. You know what I mean? Uh, Yes, for sure. And that's, that's kind of hard for me because I love so many things and my daughter's going through that too, because it's like, well, what, which one do you choose, you know, to, to do with the career, but (laughs) And I say to her, look, you can, you can, cause she's really into art. She also, she's going to become a therapist. And I'm like, you know, you, you can still do art, you know, you don't Absolutely. have to that part of yours. In fact, sometimes it's more fulfilling when you do something as a hobby, as opposed to a job. So, yeah. Oh, and that does take some awareness of, yeah. Figuring out kind of connecting with your sense of self to figure out what those things are and where they, what place yeah. they belong. <laughs> yes. and, and you can see how if you kind of grew up in an environment where you're just kind of reacting to what others are viewing, how others are viewing you or, you know, maybe advice that they're giving based on their own selves, you can see how that would get really murky. Absolutely. Absolutely. The Life and Style podcast is produced by Painted Tree Boutiques. With locations across the country, Painted Tree is home to hundreds of local shops, all under one roof. Painted Tree vendors specialize in gifts, decor, fashion, and so much more. For shoppers, it's truly a one-stop gift shop, an experience like no other. And you can feel great about your purchase, knowing that you're supporting a small business. For vendors, owning a shop at Painted Tree is an unbelievable opportunity for growth. Owning your own business is so rewarding, but the cost of opening a brick and mortar store can be staggering when you take it on by yourself. Did you know the average cost of opening a retail store is $100,000? The reason Painted Tree was created was to give people with a dream a fighting chance at succeeding. We are passionate about giving dreamers like you the opportunity to do so without the buckling financial risk that comes with it. In this community, we share costs, resources, and wins. To learn more about how you can open a shop inside Painted Tree, visit paintedtree.com slash vendors. Um, okay, so talking about secure relationships, that's that's your name on Instagram. That is a lot of what you are about. So what does it mean to be in a secure relationship and how is that different from codependency? Okay, so being in a secure relationship means that you are walking around the relationship 90% of the time. That's a number I completely made up. It's not a statistic, but just kind of my clinical number, uh, feeling that your attachment needs are met. This person appreciates me. My partner values me. uh, My needs matter to my partner. My partner is generally going to show up for me in times when it really matters. Um, I feel... Uh, oh gosh, there's, there's, there's not actually so many of them. There's a short, relatively short list, but of mm-hmm. course now my mind is going blank. <laughs> um, I feel validated. I feel that my, my feelings are validated. I feel like I can get it right for my partner. Like at some mm-hmm. point, because sometimes with, you know, the anxious avoidant dynamic, the, the bar just keeps going higher and higher because we're trying to fulfill a need that is like really can't be fulfilled. Um, and so it's like, I know that there's a point at which you're going to be satisfied with me, mm-hmm. uh, an appropriate point. Um, I need to know that you're going to share all of you with me. Uh, and so when you're walking around with these and a handful of other atta- basic human attachment needs met, or you take joy in me, that's a big one too. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel safe and secure in this relationship. And in that 10% of the time when there's a rupture, when something happens and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I don't feel appreciated right now. We can talk through that and we can be vulnerable with each other and we can get back to having our attachment needs be feel met mm-hmm. uh, relatively quickly. We know how to yeah. work through that. And um, yeah, so I would I would define it as, you know, you feel you feel safe and close when these mm-hmm. attachment needs are met and when there's a rupture, you're able to repair it and on top of that uh talk through life problems together. Like okay. talk through our how how where are we going to live? You know, what are our family plans? Uh where are kids going to go to school? Things like this without going into a negative communication cycle. 
in a negative mm -hmm. communication cycle is where we're getting accusatory, we're getting blaming, we're getting defensive, we're shutting down. And at the end of this, we're, we're, what we're doing is we're not meeting each other's attachment needs. So at the end of these cycles, we feel that our attachment needs are, aren't met and we didn't resolve the situation. So that would be a, another way that I would define security is that we can work through life's problems together. Uh, even when we disagree or are disappointed, we're, we're maintaining our attachment connection. Mm, and yeah. that all will bleed into, you know, intimacy, emotional closeness, physical intimacy, physical closeness. Okay. Okay. Um, that's so interesting. And I love hearing the way that you define that. I haven't, I haven't thought in those terms before of it kind of being, that's the baseline. That's the 99% or the 90%. And then, you know, maybe you said 99%. <laughs> oh no, I said 90. I said 90. 90. Yeah, okay. We, 90, 99 is way too unrealistic. And I'm <laughs> okay. The that. 90% is yeah. that's your baseline, that place but, of health. Yeah. And if I have a couple that comes to me and they're only experiencing that, you know, I have plenty of couples that come to me and they might be experiencing that none of the time or 10% of the time or 20% mm. of the time. So if they're, if they're go growing up to 50%, I'm doing backflips. Yeah, you know, because yeah, they've yeah. grown that much. So I don't want to discourage people. You know, if you're if you're experiencing that, you know, half the time, there's something there that you can build upon. Mm. And yeah, you asked too what the difference between that and codependency is. So yes, um, so codependency is something that is enmeshment. It's not closeness. It's not intimacy. It's uh, I need for you to feel a certain way before I can feel a certain way. That's really the ultimate. And it crosses a line from intimacy and closeness into I'm managing my anxiety by controlling you. Mm -hmm. And that can show up in a thousand different ways. A thousand, you know, it's, it's codependence is hard to define because of the way that it can show up in so many forms. Yeah. So that, is that a challenging thing to identify? Like, is it easy? Can it look like a secure relationship? It might look like a secure relationship on the outside to other people. It certainly doesn't to me. And any, I mean, codependency is, an, is just really another way of saying insecure attachment. Mm. It's just the insecure attachment terms kind of narrow the codependency down. It creates more nuance. But um, if you if you might see a couple at a party and they, you know, they're, they look really like they're, you know, really connected to each other and they're getting along really great and, um, you know, touchy feely, you know, those couples who kind of look, yes. look perfect to everybody else, they, they could be absolutely very codependent. Um, mm -hmm. But you really need to know a lot more detail about their relationship to be able to make that assessment. But certainly it's something that I, that I as a professional, would never confuse the two ever. Okay. I would, yeah. They're very distinct from one another. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um. Okay. Very interesting. And can you, so another question I have for you, and it's kind of two parts, what does it mean to be emotionally available for somebody? And then how does someone become emotionally available? Okay, great question. So um, what it means to be emotionally available is that when someone is sharing their emotions with you, you are able to validate that experience. You're not trying to move them away from it. That would be more of that codependency where you, oh gosh, my partner is upset and, and upset at the situation at work. And that makes me really anxious because I don't want them to suffer or I don't want them to lose their job or whatever. So I need to make them feel better. I need to, to convince them that it's actually not that bad by saying, oh, well, you should be grateful for this or you should be grateful for that. Or, hey, let me, how about, you know, let's not talk about this. Let's go have dinner, anything to kind of move them away from that experience. Um, and the opposite of that is really just validating the emotional experience. You don't have to agree with, you know, okay, that doesn't sound right that your boss, you know, gave you some negative feedback and you're crying, right? Like that, that's kind of a normal thing right. for bosses to do. You don't, you don't have to go into that. You just have to go into, wow, I, I can hear that you felt really kind of deflated and humiliated in that moment. And I'm really sorry that you had to experience that. I've experienced that before and I know it's really painful and I'm, I'm here, I'm right here. Tell me more. That's emotional validation, um, reflecting what they're telling you. Yeah. So, okay. So let me see if I'm getting this right. So you're in this meeting and your boss says, 
you know, I'm not happy with the, the uh, I'm not happy with your performance in the last couple of weeks. And that, and that's when you felt really crushed. Am I getting that? Is that the moment where it really kind of stirred you up? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, because you want to make sure that you're understanding what they're saying, you know, that yeah. you're really kind of understanding instead of responding to them based on your own understanding, you're checking it out with them. Um, you're validating, you're maybe providing physical comfort. Let me just hold your, hold you right now. Um, and then, you know, there's, we always, of course, want to give our partners problem solving tips and advice, but that comes after we've really just created space for these hurt feelings or these mm-hmm. painful feelings or joyful feelings. Joyful feelings need to be validated too. Wow. That must've been so exciting for you. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. I'm so happy. Wow. Um, so that is being emotionally support available that, to someone. Um, and then the opposite of that is sharing your feelings. Uh, if I, sometimes I'll have clients who come home from work and they'll tell about their day and they'll say, well, so-and-so did this and then so-and-so did that and then this and then that, but they're not sharing any of their actual experience over it. They're sharing details and facts. And that causes the other partner to kind of tune out. You know, you kind of, you're not really hearing them. You're not really feeling them. And so the emotional availability there is, yeah, I mean, that felt, I, it was just so hurtful to me. You know, I, I, I felt so demoralized at that moment. You're sharing the emotional impacts in addition to just these details and facts. Mm. Um, And that sounds like kind of a, a skill or a habit to acquire, like a muscle that you have to flex over time, because I could see that being a very new kind of a stark difference from maybe how a lot of relationships function. Um, but I think that that just hearing you in, I think the way that you put it, I can't remember the term that you used, but like echoing back to the person reflecting. reflecting. Yes. That alone, like I could feel in my heart pretending I was that person. That is so powerful just to have someone um, reflect back to you, what you just shared with them. Something in that alone feel you feel it's like confirmation that you've been heard right your perspective has been seen right just already processed through and then you know a, a different perspective being sent back to you and it's so settling and that's co-regulation right there mm. you you know when you're experiencing that because i'm in this regulated place of really trying to understand you your nervous system starts to settle and mm. that is co-regulation as opposed to I'm worked up and I need to settle myself. Both are important. But when couples are emotionally available to each other, they're they're co-regulating each other. And that's really what I'm I'm wanting to see. And we have, you know, I don't this is a little bit going backward, but um, what happens when anxious partners think that they're being emotionally available when they're being expressive? When they're being mm-hmm. intensely expressive, when they're saying, I can't believe my boss did this. It's such a jerk. And I'm so humiliated. And that's not really vulnerability. That's not really emotional availability. Emotional availability is getting down into that vulnerable piece and saying, I felt so small. Mm-hmm. I felt so horrible and small and powerless in that moment. And then avoidant partners, their way of not being emotionally available is to go up into their head with facts and details. And mm-hmm really to come back to to bring it back to the relationship these are the conversations partners need to be having when they have a rupture um instead of the avoidant partner going into well i don't think that you should have said that and that's not really reasonable they're telling more about you know i felt kind of attacked right there and i felt like i I felt like my needs didn't even matter to you or i felt kind of unseen and small Mm. Um, and the anxious partner is also sharing vulnerability. And then when they are able to do what you said, which is feel heard and reflected and feel that soothed nervous system relaxation, that's when they can go into more of this logistical, how are we going to solve this and prevent this from happening again kind of place. Yeah. See, that's, what's interesting is it's like the first step that opens up the door. It's hard to function with skipping that step. It's um, impossible. It, it yeah. can't happen. I mean, it, it might sort of happen. Um, if there's already emotional safety, it can happen. Mm. Right? That, yeah. 
and some couples, some partners are so healthy that they just trust each other so much that they can go into it with emotional safety. So they don't necessarily need to go through that step. But a lot, most of the time when there's a trigger, we do, we need to settle each other first. That makes total sense. Whether it's explicitly going through that step or having kind of an understood yes. understanding of that step being present, yes, absolutely. it has to be there. Yes. I call that an implied repair hmm. where you're wow. able, you know, you're, you trust your partner so much that even if they snap at you, you, you give them grace because you know, okay, I know this, this, my partner loves me. I know I matter to my partner. This is hmm. not about me right now. This is about them. Um, you know, being frustrated or whatever. Absolutely. Oh, so good. Um, okay. So this is a broad question, but you share so many good relationship tips on your Instagram. Anyone who is not following what we're going to share her Instagram information at the end of the episode. But if you could share just some of the tips that you have found people, what, what are some of the most helpful relationship tips that you have to offer? Uh, hands down emotional validation. Mm. Um, and, and just a lot of curiosity. Um, and you have to have that curiosity to get to what needs to be validated. So that would look like, you know, it, it, going back to the story of my daughter, it was like, well, help me understand what you were hearing, what meaning you were making of what I said that felt so hard and hurtful to you. Because I know that you were hurt because of this reaction. Something happened. Mm -hmm. I'm really trying, really, truly, not not just kind of rote putting these scripted words to it. Like sometimes we, you know, sometimes a couple's therapy, you know, they'll just say, say this or use I statements. But real, true understanding. I really want to know what happened for you right there. And then she says, well, I thought you were thinking that I was lazy. And I and then I was like, oh. Oh my gosh, this is the validation piece. That mm -hmm. makes absolute sense. That doesn't mean I'm agreeing that I was thinking that she was lazy. But what I am is I'm validating that it would be painful for anybody to think that someone was thinking they were lazy. That Those two, if you do nothing else, just do those two. Just be really curious and validate. Oh, okay. You're hurting right now. And I really feel that. And I am really sorry that you're hurting right now. And and I don't know what to say to help you, but I'm just going to sit here with you. If I, and you tell me what you need. You know, it, it, you can even say, you know, that authenticity part is I don't know what to say right now. Mm -hmm. I just don't know what to say. But I do know that I can really feel how much this is hurting you and I'm really just going to sit here with you. Mm. Oh, so powerful and such a way to sl slow or lower the intensity mm -hmm. of a situation, de-escalate a situation, yeah. um, and really change the trajectory of where a conversation or an interaction is headed. Sure. Um, yeah. that's so powerful. Yeah. And I, you know, just with my work with couples, it's like, you know, you would imagine couples work to be like, a you know, just fire and, you know, just couples going back and forth and tearing each other apart doesn't happen with me really? because I know how to validate someone into regulation. Now, there are some times when that with some people have a harder time with regulation than others. And sometimes you have to spend more time doing that. But I, I just, I guess I'm just, that's a testament to how effective the skill is that I really truly don't have couples fighting in my sessions because I know how to validate so well their experience and I'm co-regulating them mm. and eventually helping them co-regulate each other. Oh, so important. And I, and I also just want to emphasize that you're calling it a skill. So people who are listening, who this is not a thing that is in their life or in their relationship, this is a skill that can be acquired. This is something that you can always learn and develop. hundred percent. In fact, I learned the skill. I did not know how to do this before I started working with couples and learning from, you know, my mentor therapist. Amazing. Yeah. Um, oh, such good tips. And um, I would love to know for you, what is your favorite aspect about what you do? Uh, probably just being, you know, being successful and having that feeling of really helping and mm. uh, 
then on this broader scale, maybe think maybe even making the world a better place, you know, in the way that I can contribute. Totally, totally. And the ripple effects of what you do are massive, because it, it just has implications for every person's relationships and their relationships. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping that that's the case for sure. You know, I'm really, I'm, I'm really hoping that, you know, when I was just working as a clinician and I didn't have in the social media or anything, which is also nothing that I ever anticipate. Like it was, <laughs> none of this was planned, but it was so fulfilling to know that, oh my gosh, I'm impacting this couple in a way that their family is going to be impacted and their kids are going to be impacted. But now having this voice to so many people, it's pretty, um, it's a pretty good feeling to think that I might be, you know, not just helping people, but helping therapists um, also latch on to this type of work because it's so amazing and them helping, you know, just like you said, the ripple effect. So yeah, it's very humbling. It's oh, amazing. Um, so I would love to know what are some daily rituals that you feel are the most important for your mental health? Um, okay. Well, I can answer that. Um, <laughs> eating well and exercise and sleep. I mean, those three hands down are the number, number, number one, that trifecta, <laughs> <laughs> the big three. Um, yeah. So I have a very rigid eight thirty bedtime. Really? And I know that sounds pretty crazy. Yeah. But I am <gasps> in bed by eight and my lights off at eight 30. Wow. Because I just am someone who needs a lot of sleep. And so I get up at six, I get a lot of sleep. It just keeps me going. Um, and that is part of my self care. I mean, my husband and kids, you know, they do their, they're my, my youngest is 10, my oldest is 20. So, wow. um, with my husband's help, they all get to bed on time, but, um, yeah, so I'm in, I'm in bed. Um, and I just clean diet, you know, um, lots of protein and vegetables. I don't, I don't do particularly well with sugars and, you know, super carby. So that's my, I feel better in general when I'm eating in the way that works for my body. Yeah. Um, and, uh, what was the, th oh, exercise. Yes. Yeah. And then beyond that, um, you know, I don't know. My work is so fulfilling, spending time with my kids, um, being available, playtime, skiing, oh, skiing all just, the, yeah, all the little yeah. things. Yes. Oh, oh, um, a, a thing that I do is I journal, but I only journal positive things. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So only, how did that come to be? You know, I read, um, I read you're a badass by Jen Sincero and huh. that really, I don't know. There's something about that book that I found very empowering. And interestingly enough, we now have the same eight, um, literary agent, but, huh. um, which is random, totally yeah. random, but she just, she's very big on, you know, meditating and manifesting what you want to be, what you want to be the truth. And so I journal what I want to be the truth. Wow. I have a lot of energy. I feel really good. I am a great therapist. I am a great mom. That's the kind of stuff that I journal. Oh, that's, I've actually never heard of that. Uh, just journaling in that way. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and it seems like if that was a regular part of your week, that would have a big impact in the way you're processing life. <laughs> it really does. It's dramatically um, powerful for me. And that does not mean that I ignore negative feelings. But right. when, I, when I'm experiencing negative emotions like sadness or fear, I, I seek support from others hmm. over that for sure. Yeah. I reach out for help. Makes total sense. Um, what is a key piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? Oh, gosh. Um, how, how young? <laughs> Let's how say 15. <laughs> 15. Um, okay. Well, so a lot of times I say to my 15-year-old, because that's such a hard age. Oh, my gosh. I love it. <laughs> Could it be worse at 15? Um, for a female at 15. Uh right. I used, I used to say a lot of, I know the sweetheart, this, the, all of these things that you're feeling, I just want to let you know, they're so normal. 
you know, this is all very normal. And she hates that. She's mm -hmm. like, I know it's normal. It doesn't make it <laughs> feel like any better. less horrible. <laughs> yeah, so I would probably just hug that 15 year old and say, you know what? Um, this is all really hard right now. And um, you're just going to keep growing and learning about yourself. And mm. um, that's not a very good answer. I no, think it's I great. <laughs> it's tying it back to validating the experience. So yeah. I think that's a yeah. powerful yeah. example. Yeah, I would probably start trying to teach that 15 year old, you know, skills, to, life skills. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wonderful. So I do have some rapid fire questions. So okay, the fun. way that this works, it's okay. lots of fun. Okay. <laughs> I start a sentence and you will finish it. Okay. okay. And we'll kind of go through them pretty quickly. Okay. Oh gosh. <laughs> You've got this. this so if you need to skip okay. it, because we have had people completely <laughs> not know it's okay. okay. We can skip one. Okay. 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 The color I wear most often is blacks, grays, and neutrals. Love it. Is neutrals. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite book is uh, uh, fiction or nonfiction. <laughs> Attachment psychotherapy by David Wallen. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. My favorite breakfast food is eggs, and vegetables. Eggs. My favorite app on my phone is. Uh, I go to Instagram the most to check out my site and, uh, Spotify and audible. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Uh, my favorite outfit I've ever worn is. Oh, I have, I love my ski outfits. So I love to really, like, yeah. And like the, where, where I ski, you can't, you can't match. It's like a hardcore ski area. So you, you know, people will just buy pieces here and there, like high quality stuff. So you have to like the way that I do it is I try to match it without matching it. So I was like, <laughs> I love it. I put a lot of thought into looking random. Yes. Oh, I like yeah. that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, my favorite place I've ever been is Italy. Mm. Yeah. The best piece of advice I've ever received was. Uh, Oh my goodness. I had this in my mind, um, <laughs> not too long ago. Uh, okay. I, I think I, it's assume that your children will turn out badly. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. Uh, because that takes away the, that you are kind of, you don't operate from a place of fear when you, have that assumption. I know this sounds so bizarre, but it works. It worked for me that instead of it, it's more like enjoying the moment and that mm. actually creates the opposite of the thing that you fear. I love that. I love that yeah. a lot. And maybe a different way to say it would be just don't, don't fear, just have no fear. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. that's good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, my role model is, uh, George Fowler. Amazing. Yeah. I'm currently learning about. Uh, I'm currently learning about uh, how uh, constantly learning about how to be a better therapist. Mm -hmm. Never ends. Always. Yeah. Uh, my style icon is. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> ah, probably something like, you know, Jackie O or some Ooh. really classy, you know, just very, uh, a very classical look, but I wear a lot of athleisure in my life. Cause I'm, I love that. I love Pilates. So I'm kind of, kind of always wearing athleisure, but if I, if I actually dress, you know, to go somewhere or dress for work, it's very, just a classic style. Wonderful. Neutrals, basics. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I love, I love neutrals as well. Just neutrals and muted tones i'm so yeah. gravitated towards oh yeah I, anything that makes me feel peaceful i've realized is what oh, I, right. I am drawn to right uh, yes greens yes oh yes yes yeah okay last one i love what i do because i love what i do because it gives me an opportunity to um help people and help the world be a better place which is extremely fulfilling and it's so intellectually challenging and i i think that's excuse me, that's the math part of my brain that mm. needs that puzzle solving stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So share with people who are listening, how they can connect with you after listening to this episode. Okay. So, um, you can connect with me by 
do, going to my Instagram, which is the secure relationship. That's it. So good. Everybody go follow. There's so it's just endless and it's jam packed. Like every post, everything, there is so much there. You just do an amazing job on there. So everyone go follow, please. I enjoy, I, I truly enjoy it. It's extremely organic. I do it all myself and I just love it. And I hope I'm really, I'm, I'm very appreciative for the fact that people benefit from it. Absolutely. Um, is there anything else that you'd like people to know as they're following along? Uh, let me think about that. Um, yeah, actually I've been really in, into this, um, you know, sometimes an idea won't be new to me, but I'll, I'll, it'll just become really on the, at the forefront at the forefront of my mind right now has been the grieving process of what we lost in childhood and mm. so much of our triggers are these emotional flashbacks to painful events in childhood that we may have not even you know realized and and when i say episodes i i mean moments all those little moments when you may have reached out and not felt held or felt rejected or felt unsupported or you know a big one is um you know when a couple weeks ago my george faller my mentor had said what is the most important emotion during childhood and you know, I was like, I don't know, fear, sadness, joy. It's joy. It's there's the most important emotion to a child is knowing that other people actually take joy and delight in them. That's kind of what they're going for, you know, Yeah. more than anything. And for people who didn't get that, there's, there's a lot of loss there. And I think it's important when these feelings of rejection or feelings of, um, you know, not being supported or being alone rise up that we allow ourselves to feel a lot of sadness around that and, and grieve those losses. Mm, wow. That's so yeah. good. And so and, true. Because a lot of times we just learn we'll override them, self-regulate or reach out for support. And all those things are great, but there's also something to be said for just sitting with that sadness and allowing it to be. Oh, I think that's important, important to hear. Um, thank you so much, Julie, for okay. being here today, for sharing all of this value with me and with our listeners today. I'm just deeply appreciative to you for spending your morning chatting with me. Oh, you're so welcome. Well, I will welcome. talk to you soon okay. and I hope you have a wonderful day. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Take care. Well, friends, thank you so much for listening to this conversation. I so thoroughly enjoyed getting to connect with Julie, and I hope that you enjoyed listening. If you did, feel free to share with your family and friends who might appreciate it as well. Uh, don't forget to connect with us on Instagram at The Life and Style Podcast, and we will be back next week with a brand new episode. Talk to you soon, friends. This podcast episode was produced by the marketing and media team at Painted Tree Boutiques. Special thanks to Aiden McMillan, Becca Melton, and all of the Painted Tree shoppers, staff, and vendors that make this project possible. 